Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, I'm Corinna Harrod and welcome to episode 59 of the Monday Night Review. I'm very excited because I've had to do no homework this week because I have a very special guest on. For lots of you who have listened since the beginning, you'll know that one of the reasons I started this podcast was because my sister would always be telling me weird stories and documentaries she'd seen and she's actually the reason... I ended up doing Action Park as an episode because she banged on about the documentary for so many years, I believe. And eventually I watched it and it was, of course, amazing. So I've managed to persuade her to come on and do a guest episode for me. She isn't keen. That's not true. (laughs) She's not keen on being recorded on the podcast, but she is a keen on the podcast and honoured to be asked to be on it <laughs> so this is my sister Jessie she is going to be telling me a story this week which I'm very excited about um and having taken oh well about yeah over a year to persuade her she's now here what are you going to be telling us the story of today today I'm going back to my love of geography I'm going to be telling you about Morecambe Bay Morecambe Bay and the dark side of it, the coppling disaster of 2004. Where is Morecambe Bay for those non-British listeners? Well, I'm going to tell you all about it. Oh, OK. Um, I really got into Morecambe Bay. It's a place I love to visit because my friend Jo lives there and she's told me a lot about the history over the years and it inspired me to find out more. Morecambe Bay is in the Irish sea and it's a large very shallow estuary and that's in the northwest of England south of the Lake District. It's a large expanse of intertidal mudflats and sand. It's the largest in the UK and it covers about 120 square miles so that's 310 uh, square kilometres so it's pretty massive. It's between the port of Barrow and Furness to the north and the seaside resorts of Morecambe and Haysham in the south. In 1974, the second largest gas field in the UK was discovered there, 25 miles west of Blackpool, and it was it provided 15% of Britain's gas supply. But now, um, not so much. Not so much with the gas, I okay. believe. So, from the mid-Victorian era... To the 1970s, the seaside town of Morecambe was a vibrant holiday destination with people coming from all over the UK to visit the beaches. It's got famous winter gardens and other attractions. And like so many other British seaside resorts from the 1970s onwards, Morecambe experienced a decline in his fortunes 
and holidaymakers were making their way to Spain because it was better weather, cheaper flights. So it went into a bit of a decline. But now, now we're uh, it seeing it a bit of up? yeah, it's seeing some regeneration, and it is worth a visit. I must say, it looks very beautiful from the photos I've seen. Yes, it's um, they've reopened the winter gardens now. I don't understand what a winter garden is. Well, it was back back once upon a time. Yeah. There were large greenhouses. So the large greenhouse bit of it isn't there, but. Attached to it was a theatre and oh, okay. a music hall, which So a winter reopened. garden was inside? Was it was inside, inside a greenhouse? Yes. Oh, I I, never knew I, that. You could go to it in the winter. Okay. Does I that make yeah. sense? I thought it was things that flowered in the winter, which I thought was pushing it a bit. No. Northwest of England. But they haven't... That bit is now a casino, but the bit that was the music hall is, is being refurbished and it looks... Well restored i should say it looks beautiful okay is it an outside theater or an inside theater? inside okay inside is it where the uh, the statue of eric Morecambe is? the statue of eric Morecambe is actually on the front okay. so he is he is sort of pirouetting yeah i love i love that yeah near the northern chocolate company which Ooh. is a fabulous shop which is where you got me my chocolate from. yes it yes. is delicious great place shout out to them yeah didn't want to leave. No, that was really good chocolate. Yes. Sorry, carry on. Okay, so the bay itself is a bit of a mysterious place. And um, as the writer Paul Kingsworth said, it can change its character in minutes. You know, it just can change its look and feel just so easily. Um, you know, and he wrote that it can become a universe entirely of itself. Uh, it can be quite a treacherous place. Um, because it's wide and flat, the tide comes in extremely fast. You can see it on YouTube. If you Googled for it, you'd okay. be able to see it. It's extraordinary to watch because it's like a mini tsunami. Um, so is it just sand? Is it sand? Yes. And then I'll, I'll suddenly you, the yes. wave comes in? Yes. Ooh, okay. It's extraordinary to watch. The Furness Railway was built around the edge of the bay in the 1850s, but before that, the bay claimed the lives of many people because they would walk across. They'd try and get over from Morecambe to the Furness Peninsula because it would be much quicker to go across it. Mm. Um, you know, there's salt marshes around the edge, so taking a horse and cart was pretty heavy going to go around the outside. But you see, the tides could easily catch you out, and they were fatal. It was fatal. I mean, there's tales of um, coaches setting off and disappearing and never turning up on the other side of the bay. And the, the problem is, it looks so inviting as a space to walk into when the tide is out. Looking at it, you think you could easily jog across to the other side in minutes. Yeah. So you don't really realise the scale of it and the fact that they have that there's quicksand. Oh, I was going to say, it sounds like that bit in between Padstow and Rock in Cornwall, where it, when the tide's out, it looks like you could just nip across. That's what it looks like. But then you can't, but there's no quicksand there. Quicksand's terrifying. Yeah, no, it is scary. There are paths across it, but you have to have real skill to know what you're doing. So... Um, there's a wonderfully English job title exists, which is The Queen's Guide to the Sand. I really, I don't want that job, but I do want that title. It's pretty good, isn't it? 
Um, so it was created in the 16th century after locals petitioned, petitioned the king in an attempt to put an end to everybody drowning um, because people would often get dodgy guides as well. People uh... would pretend they knew what they were doing, but they didn't. And then from uh, 1963 to 2019, it was a chap called Cedric Robinson. And then now it's a chap called Michael Wilson. Um, oh, and but, he's new to the job. Oh, he's new. But you only get paid £15 a year. Uh, it's, a nominal, it's a nominal salary, but you get a free house. You oh. get to use a free house that's owned by the Crown. Where's the house? Just by in the bay, I think. Is it's it very nice? nice? Yes, I think so. Oh, okay. And um, nobody takes a horse and cart over anymore, <laughs> but people do charity walks. So I think probably... Oh, so he's got stuff to do. Michael's being kept, you know, busy and... Yeah. You, know, uh, 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 you don't want to lose a charity walk. <laughs> no, 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 that wouldn't be that wouldn't be so good. So uh, I hope that's painted a bit of a it really has. about the sort of the I, scale. I like the idea of Michael losing a charity walk and having to go to the Queen to tell them. I, I hope that never happens. Touch wood, poor Michael. But on a serious note, that leads us to what we're going to talk about today. I'm making my sister laugh. It's so mean. She's talking about something serious. <clears throat> yeah, it's well, very no, serious. but it's a tragedy. Okay, that I remember know. happening. Yes, which you were saying when you kept Jesse when you were in Morecambe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah, and you were saying, do you remember this happening? And I don't remember it happening, but I'm spectacularly unobservant. You'd have been twenty-one when it happened, but it was very shocking at the time. So it's two thousand and four, and it. I remember it was the focus of, of the nation's outrage and I naively just couldn't believe such a thing could happen. But I'll, I'll go on to tell you all about it. So I said I was talking about the cocklers. Well, for what is cockling? Yeah. So I think cockling also sounds like something that's quite British. I know you eat them everywhere. Yeah. So it, well, so a cockle is a bivalve in the mollusk. Family. I'm not quite sure what a bivalve is. Well, I think it has about two valves. I'd well, say. <laughs> I'd say you're probably right. So it looks a bit like an oyster, and they get harvested, thousands of them per day, and they're, they're everywhere in the world, um, and they're found in sort of muddy, sandy inlets like Morecambe, and you harvest them at low tide, mm. um, and they stay in the shallow water and they feed when the tide goes out and they burrow under the sand a little yeah. and you use your rake or your hands to get them to come to the surface and then okay. you sort them by size and you can leave the little ones <clears throat> sorry you can leave the little ones in the sea to grow um and then you can stick them all in a bucket or a nylon bag now who was picking the bubbles so the Guys collecting the cockles that day were Chinese immigrants who'd been trafficked illegally overland from China in search of a better life um, and to make money for their families back home. And many of them came from the Fujian province in southeastern China, some from northern China, and they had paid thousands to get to the UK. Oh, and I bet the journey was horrible. Well... It's incredible. I mean, it took quite a lot of them over a year to get here overland with awful conditions. 
and they're at the mercy of brutal trafficking gangs and living in the worst kind of accommodation possible. And you paid for that. Yeah, and their debts are piling up from their families in China. So often there are people going around to their families in China to sort of try and get money out of them. They oh. are absolutely terrifying. Mm. Anyway, now, what I'm going to talk about some of these um, Chinese immigrants, um, I will probably butcher their names very badly, so I apologise for this now. We did not learn Mandarin or, or any Chinese language as a child, which is a failing of our parents. But, uh, that's one but of we'll forgive you. So, sorry, apologies in advance if I offend anyone. I'm doing my best. So, one such immigrant was Li Hua, who um, had recently arrived in the UK, and his journey had taken over a year. <laughs> and he'd ended up in a house in the Kensington area of Liverpool, which was totally gross. It was cold and damp. It was in need of a refurb, with everyone sleeping on the floor and sharing one disgusting bathroom. So the next day, February 5th, 2004, Lee was driven from the house in Morecambe Bay. Um, from the house in Liverpool? Yeah, from that house to Morecambe Bay, okay. sorry. Yeah. Yes. And he was told that he would have to do cockle picking work and then it would take most of the day from morning light to evening just to fill one of the nylon bags he'd been given. Um, so... To do this, he was given a pay-as-you-go mobile, waterproofs, a black beanie hat with an LED light attached, Ooh. and boots. And each worker was given a short-handled rake, and they were shown how to use it, how to extract bottles. But he said he found it easier to dig them out with his bare hands. Um, by mid-afternoon, it was already getting dark, because it's February. Yeah. Um, but they were being urged further out across the wet sands following the retreating tide. And the best cockles to be collecting were apparently on the sand flat by Wharton Sand, which is near Hesbank. And so uh, about 30 cocklers set out um, to this point at 4pm. Oh, my God, 4pm, northwest England in February. Yeah. So where they are ending up is about 2.2 miles north of Morecambe. Mm -hmm. So apparently, to give you a bit of background, the Chinese workers had started appearing on the sands around the area about a year before. And the local fishermen had been pretty suspicious because they wanted to control and monopolise certain sites. And that had forced the pickers, the Chinese pickers, further away to the distant cockle beds. Yeah. So just... Which I'm assuming the locals, because of the tides, yes. were wary of. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So you've got sort of a lot of not... So much good feeling going on there. Yeah. And a local journalist, Jason Crowley, writes, um, what was peculiar in retrospect was that local people had seen the cockle pickers come and go, but the authorities sort of chose not to see them. They were just sort of shadows on the sands. Oh. I think shadows on the sands yeah. is quite a poignant. Oh. So remember how I said the tide comes in really fast? Yeah. So the locals say 
It's at the speed of a galloping horse. So while the Chinese workers were totally unfamiliar with the local geography, um, totally inexperienced and vulnerable, and they were cut off by the incoming tide in the bay at 9.30pm. So the emergency services were alerted by a mobile phone call made by one of the workers who spoke very little English. Do you remember they've all been given yeah. the phone? The rescue operation only began because one cockler, um, Gao Bing Long, called 999 and told police sinking water, many, many sinking water, sinking water, sinking water, before being cut off. <sighs> so the RNLI immediately started searching the waters to find the cocklers, but it's a large area. Yeah. But at least they were on to starting. Um, and Lee, who I was talking about earlier on, he was, said he was in seconds of becoming a victim. And he said the water covered the wheel of the vehicle. They'd all tried to get back to the cockling vehicle that they'd driven out of. Okay, so there's a vehicle that drives them out. Yeah. Okay. But the vehicle couldn't move. And who drives the vehicle? The naughty person yes the, oh. ga- the gang master had driven the vehicle and everyone's panicking and so they get out and try and swim <gasps> and so lee was the only cockle picker to be rescued alive from the bay from 30 men well and, and some women? other people got back okay um sorry but interrupting the the water was flooding so quickly that some people were dragged right under he said and it was pitch black and he was desperate and he thought he might just wait to die oh. and he was numb yeah, um, February... and he doesn't know but he thinks a wave might have turned him around and he was on his own and then a helicopter came and he said he kept waving um and he could not believe he was going to be rescued and alive again so, he, I mean, so they're wearing a black beanie they have got the headlamp on but whether that's working in the water just a or little not led it's not really and it's february irish sea yeah. Which you wouldn't want to swim in on a hot day in February. It would still be like ice. Oh. It's awful. So Morecambe's RNLI uh, crew worked for 22 hours. Wow. During the search and rescue operation. And the lifeboat operations manager, who was called Michael Guy, was on duty. Um, and he said afterwards, our thoughts, I would are really of sadness for the families. The only contribution we made to the families is because we did recover the people and we gave them some closure, rather than people being lost at sea. Uh, He said the team of the hovercraft covering that area began their normal search patterns when they made the grim discovery of all the bodies. He said um, at that stage they effectively came into a sea of bodies Oh. It's very harrowing. Yeah, it must um, be awful. And apart from the senior hovercraft commander, many of the crew on night had never seen bodies in the water before. So it had a lasting effect on them. Yeah, because also it sounds like the locals are all really wary of the tides. So although you well, have the RNLI and things, they they because everyone's so wary, they probably don't have to... Or... Well, indeed, actually, because at a subsequent hearing... British cocklers returning to shore on the same evening were reported to have attempted to warn the Chinese group by tapping their watches and trying to speak to them. 
and a survivor testified that the leader of the group had made the mistake about the time and the tides. Okay. So 21 bodies, men and women, aged between 18 and 45, were recovered from the bay after the incident. Two of the victims were women, the vast majority young men in their 20s and 30s, with only two being over 40 and only one male being under 20. Most of the victims were previously employed as farmers and there were two fishermen. All the bodies were found between the cockling area and the shore, indicating that most had attempted to swim but had been overcome by hypothermia. Oh, even worse. Yeah, four of, and four of the victims died after the truck that I was talking about yes. earlier had become overwhelmed by the water. And then two others were believed to have drowned and then they found a skull in 2010. But there's so no they didn't records. find yeah. two of them? Yeah, and they found a skull in 2010. Oh, but they won't know. No, and it, it's, yeah, it, it's so shocking. So almost a decade after the disaster, Lee says he has panic attacks and yeah. thinks a lot about those people who didn't survive, particularly at Chinese New Year, because it happened around that time. Yeah. Um. And they all came for the same reason. He said, you know, we left our families to try and make a better life. Especially it sounds like a lot of that age group would have been sons. Yes. Your son goes off to make a better life and dies. It takes almost a year or over a year to get there. Costs loads of money. You're getting more and more into debt. And then that's how they die. Yeah, it's really depressing. It's awful. I mean, and Lee now is, when he was making these comments, he's speaking to the BBC under the protection of the government's UK Protected Persons Service, which he had to go into in order to testify. Because he's illegal and he's got people who will hurt him if he reports. Well, yes, because his evidence helped to convict the gangmaster. Well, say, I was going to say, was that, was there anyone out there with them yeah so his uh, his evidence helped convict this gangmaster so who's called lin liang rang on 22 counts of manslaughter facilitating illegal immigration and perverting the course of justice so in march uh, 2006 ren was jailed for 14 years at preston crown court and for two further couplers who were thought to have been killed but the bodies never found yeah and Lin Miu Yong was sentenced to four years and nine months. And Zhao Xiaoping was sentenced to two years and nine months for the facilitation of illegal immigration and perverting the course of justice. And then there were two guys, Eden Senior and Eden Junior from Merseyside, who bought the couples from the work gang. And they were, they were cleared of helping the workers break the immigration law. Lee says, my family are all healthy and we are happy. And we do not have a lot of money, but we are happy to go through each day peacefully and I'm thankful and glad to be alive. The detective who led the investigation into the tragedy said that the death had lived with him ever since. He's called Mick Bradwell and he led the police investigation. But, you know, he still worried similar similar disasters could occur. Um, He's retired from the Lancashire Police. And he says, you're thrown into investigating an international organised crime gang. You know, snakeheads, triads, international human trafficking. And he said, we dealt 
with the people who were responsible for the deaths on the night. But we didn't make a dent in the wider criminal gangs who traffic people around the world, he said. Um, and he's worried that it could still happen. People could still be exploited in that way. But I think the tragedy did highlight that there was a serious issue with illegal immigration in mm. this country, with people living in terrible um, circumstances. Yeah. Um, and that we had this whole sort of human trafficking problem going on that people chose very much to look the other way. I'm not yeah. saying in any way it's sorted out now, but it was a lot worse then. But also that's a lot of people. If you have 30 people cockling on February Beach, that's a noticeable amount of people. Yes. It's, just, it's a very interesting because it's such a big bay cold February to have that many people that everyone's kind of turning a blind eye to but you can't you know people will have noticed it's not one or two people sneaking around no no it it, it and yet highlighted, so many people it highlighted how this industry which was it used to be a handful of fishing families and suddenly it had transformed into this illegal harvest thing so, yeah because cockling used to be a thing also used to do from the east end of London isn't it they used to go out to the coast yes, and do cockling because you could make a bit of money. Yes, exactly. But, I mean, I, I think it, had, it just... People chose to turn a blind eye to, to what was going on. And a councillor, Andrew Werner, who uh, was the cabinet member with the responsibility for environmental health, said at the time of the tragedy... The council called for an introduction of national licensing to help regulate the harvesting of uh, shellfish from the bay. And there were new laws about, about gang masters and uh, labour abuse. And there hasn't been a repeat of the 2004 tragedy. So, you know, but then he went on to say that although the introduction of more robust controls and regulation has helped to reduce the number of people venturing out onto the beaches and around the country to harvest shellfish. We still hear reports from time to time of gangs attempting the illegal harvesting of shellfish. So it's, it is quite tightly controlled now. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a beautiful uh, memorial Oh. To the cobblers. It's called Praying Shell, and it is a sculpture that was uh, made in 2013 by Anthony Padgett to commemorate the death. Oh, I'm going to try and find a picture of that to include in oh yes on, online so people can have a look. Thanks. That's oh, thank you for having me. Depressing. It is. <laughs> but That's I had really no sad. idea. But also, I've got that thing where 2004 feels like it was yesterday. It was actually 18 years ago. It's quite a while ago. But it seems, it is one of those things when you first said, if you heard about the Cockling disaster, I just imagined, yeah, cheery East End Victorian ladies. I ju you just don't think about something like, I don't know, I always feel like I'm very, very assured of my modern living. Yes. And it yeah. seems like such a... It was just such... A strange thing to happen, and I think it was a it was a big shock for many people that such a thing could happen. 
and such a miserable. I mean, I love the north. Where are we, northwest? Yes. But the thought of wanting a better life and going through the what must have been horrendous travel. I mean, just awful travel. And it's then, really awful. And I, there's a wonderful, wonderful film called Ghosts, which is... Not Ghost with Patrick Swayze. Not Ghost with Patrick Swayze. <laughs> this is Nick Broomfield's foray into uh, uh, fiction. fiction. He is a great documentary maker, in my opinion. Well, so, I find it upsetting. You might find it upsetting, but it's so beautifully done. And it's about the cockle pickle. It pickers. follows one woman as a cockler um, being, first of all, she leaves her town and you see her reasons for leaving yeah. her, her home in China. And it's all about uh, the years she spends being trafficked. Oh. And then what happens to her? She goes and lives in Thetford. Oh. In Norfolk, and then finds herself eventually in Morecambe. Um, but it is very much worth watching. You see, I love Thetford. I'm a big Norfolk fan. But again, <laughs> very flat and depressing with a lot of scrub. <laughs> yeah, she has to go and do some, some um, veg picking up there. And I feel like Liverpool, what was it? Liverpool was Boris's city of culture. Was it? I couldn't remember that. Yeah, it, it was. But I feel like... In 2004, if you get a bad area of Liverpool, it's not, it's not nice. No. I, I, yeah. Oh. Well, thank you very much. Well, everybody should visit Morecambe if you get the chance. It's, it's a great place. It looks really beautiful from your photos. So I will put pictures up on our social media so that you can have a look and see Morecambe, see the memorial sculpture Great. which is there yes and there. um thank you very much for telling us such a depressing story and such an interesting story about the bivalve mollusks the bivalve mollusks which i feel like we've all learned something today and you're going to sign us off jesse do you know the sign off be kind stay safe and always check the back seat before you drive perfect Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.